day, everyone. It is Saturday. We are here with another episode of Be Our Guest on Musical Theatre Radio. My name is Jean-Paul Yovanoff. I am your host for the day, and we are going across the pond to talk to someone today. Our guest is a little bit farther away than we're used to, but who are we talking to today? Today, you're talking to me, and I'm Paul Boyd. Paul, thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, Paul, can you give us our, your 30-second bio? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, my goodness, right. So uh, I'm, my name's Paul. I live in London. I was born in Ireland, where I started my career. I write musical theatre. I direct musical theatre. Um, and as we speak, I'm actually just taking a break from penning my 24th stage musical in about uh, 27 years or something like that. Wow, that's we've got a lot to talk about then. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, let's jump right into music. Is there anything you want to start the show off with? Any favorite songs or maybe your own song or what would you like to do? I'd love to play a song from uh, a show that really makes me laugh. I think that might be a good way to start it. Sure. So if we can pick a song from the producers, uh, I'd love to play The King of Broadway. We can do that. No problem. All right. So this is the King of Broadway. We are here with Paul Boyd today, and you are listening to Be Our Guest on Musical Theatre Radio. We are back here on Be Our Guest. It is a wonderful Saturday afternoon. We are talking to Paul Boyd over in England right now. Paul, thank you very much for coming on today. You're very welcome. How brilliant it is to talk to you. You're doing such sterling work over there, promoting not just musicals, but, but new musicals, which is really important. Thank you very much. I, 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 that was one of the things I wanted to do. I wanted to, everybody plays, the, you know, the, the big stuff on Broadway and the big stuff on the West End, but nobody was, you know, focusing on those tens of thousands of shows that are new or, or people just don't know yet. Um, and I wanted to help promote them. So uh, you're welcome. Great stuff. Great stuff. So tell us a little bit about your background and, and your 24 musicals and, and how you got to uh, write those and, and just a little bit about yourself. Well, okay. So, well, I kind of got into the business almost by accident, which I think is a fairly common um, story. I was in Ireland, where I'm from, and I found myself studying on a course that was very theory based. Mm -hmm. So not a great practical experience. And I, I really wanted to get up on stage. So uh, being young and not really understanding the business, I didn't quite realize that you could do somebody else's shows. <laughs> so I could have applied for the rights to do Rocky Horror or, or you know, any, any show. But um, I thought you had to write your own. So that's literally how it started. <laughs> um, I'd always been a writer. I'd always written comedy and plays and things. And I had written a very silly little play when I was about 19, 18 or 19, uh, which was a, a parody of... Shakespeare's Macbeth and I suddenly decided I was going to add songs to this and I was going to write a musical so I taught myself to I could play piano a bit Jean-Paul I could kind of pick out a tune with one finger mm -hmm. taught myself to play piano and turn this play into a musical called Macbeth the musical nice. and uh, I was still at university and uh, some producers saw it uh, took it and produced it and so whilst I was still a student I had my first show on the road and um and then that was that was kind of me in the business so it was a kind of pure fluke pure luck being in the right place at the right time um and that was the first of many i'm i've been very fortunate i don't really write musicals like other people write musicals and um, by that i mean 
a lot of people have a great love for the writing process and they will write musicals. Some of my colleagues will write musicals and then hope one day they get produced and <laughs> try and promote them. I tend, to, I tend to write to orders. I've been very fortunate. I say I've written 23 musicals. All of those have been produced. Um, wow. The majority of them are commissions from theatres and companies. So, um, uh, yeah, so I've just become one of those writers and it's been a bit of a blessing for the past 20 odd years, I have to say. Wow, that's that's incredible! You're, you're almost like those uh, artists back in the the day who were commissioned by the the royalty to, to uh, you know paint portraits and and almost the same type of thing. You're just uh, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? It was because when I uh, well, as soon as I left university, I had a couple of shows under my belt. I immediately started working for a theatre company who were obviously were commissioning commissioning me to write. And when I moved on from that company and went freelance, I immediately got a commission from our national theatre in Ireland, the, the Lyric Theatre in Belfast, uh, uh, which started me off. So, yeah, so it really was a case of, I, I guess I was doing the kind of shows at the time people wanted. Wow, that's incredible. Did, now, did you go to school for theatre or did you go for something else? Um, the truth is uh, <laughs> that I went to study history. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, when I got that got me through the doors of the university as an academic and once I got there I signed up for theatre so I'm almost sure that was something I was allowed to do um, <laughs> and if it wasn't something I was allowed to do I got away with it <laughs> <laughs> nice so so all that preparation for history at school and then you went off in a completely different direction yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, what was funny was uh, I'd done all that history preparation, but the other thing I'd done at school was I performed in some Gilbert and Sullivan operas. Nice. Uh, which was something we did at the, my grammar school. And that really kind of started off my love, not just for musicals, but for theatre generally. Um, and so I, I, I ended up writing a dissertation on Gilbert and Sullivan for my final exams at university. And it's a love that has never quite left me. Wow. Yeah. When, when I was a kid, my, my parents would take us, we have Stratford here in Ontario in Canada, uh, based on, of course, the one over there. And yeah, we used to go to see all the Gilbert and Sullivan's, uh, Mikado and the pirates and all that sort of thing. And it, yeah, your love for it stays with you. And that's kind of how I got into it as well. So uh, there's a connection there with Gilbert and Sullivan. They always help people stay in the, the business and, and keep their love for musicals. And also from the origin of musicals, too. I mean, that's something that sort of became more and more apparent the more I read and the more I researched as I got older in uh, researching other writers, even. Um, you know, I'm working at the moment on a musical of Peter Pan and uh, even my research into J.M. Barry is taking me into meetings he had with Arthur Sullivan. So all of these kind of people lived in one kind of magical past i guess <laughs> and uh, no, the longer you work the longer you realize like, that uh, everything's connected in some way for sure what you know what let's throw to a song and then we'll come back and we'll talk about those shows peter pan and all some of the other shows you've written and you can tell us a little bit about the maybe the processes or about the shows and, and then peter pan that you have coming up is there any uh, song you'd want to uh, throw to yeah that's that's this is a bit of a curveball i suppose but um i've I really liked, uh, I went to see Beautiful, the Carol King musical in the West End, mm -hmm. uh, in London when it was running. And I, one of my favorite songs is Pleasant Valley Sunday, which of course I knew because it, I was a big, big fan of the monkeys. Yes. Um, and the monkeys did a cover of this, I think it was about 1967, long before my time, but I, I yeah. do have the album. 
somewhere. So I'd love to hear Pleasant Valley Sunday. Uh, I totally agree. I love that song too. Yeah, I first heard it with the monkeys and then when I saw it was on this, I went, oh, fantastic. So wonderful. So ladies and gentlemen, we are going to throw it to Pleasant Valley Sunday from Beautiful, the musical, uh, here on Be Our Guest. It is Saturday. This is Be Our Guest. I'm your host, Jean-Paul Yovanoff, for this episode. And we are talking with Paul Boyd, who's written a lot of musicals. 24, is it? Uh, well, almost 24. Okay. I'm on the 24th as we speak, so don't speak too soon. Okay, so at least 23 <laughs> right now. Yeah. Um, so, Paul, tell us a little bit about some of your shows. I know we play, I think, what what songs do we play? We played Alice, uh, Molly Wobbly, Stit Factory, and Hansel and Gretel, I believe, at least those three. Uh, I think there's another one that we play on our sampler platter, and I've been listening to them, and they sound great. Um, so congrats on that. But tell us a little bit maybe about uh, some of your shows and, and the process you go through when you're writing them and uh, some of the experiences you've had and even your upcoming one. Um, I, I've been very lucky, as I said before, and sometimes what happens is a theatre will come to me with an idea. So there's a large percentage of my shows um, that have been given to me as a title or as an idea um, so for example the you know the lyric theater in belfast the aforementioned uh, national theater of my hometown my home country northern ireland um, they really wanted a musical of alice in wonderland this is back in 1998 and um uh, and i didn't know much about the book i read the book um i read the sequel the through the looking glass and sort of came to the conclusion there wasn't much of a story there so this was a big learning curve for me in that i realized that sometimes when you do an adaptation uh, you actually have to do a rewrite um uh, there's sometimes there's a lot more to just uh, adapting a, a story uh, than just sort of slapping it up onto the stage and that's very true of alice so that became alice the musical which has been around now for 20 years wow. uh we just recently redid it for its 20th anniversary uh, um it came back home to the lyric in belfast and um, so that was that's great fun but that that was a lesson i kind of took with me and and the secret of adapting which i've done a lot of over the years is to find the essence and the spirit of a story and to learn to write in the style of the original writer but thereafter it's carte blanche, really. You can sort of do what you need to do to get that story across. And and in that vein, I've got all kinds of titles. I've done uh, a musical of Pinocchio, based, of course, on the Carlo Collodi story. Um, um, I've done a musical of Hunchback of Notre Dame, actually. They just called Hunchback, uh, which is from the Victor Hugo novel. Mm -hmm. um, lots of fairy tales. I did a lot of research at one point in the fairy tales, which make fantastic uh, <laughs> musicals because, like the best stories, uh, the general public doesn't really know the story. They think they do, uh, which is an adapter's dream. You know, if, if a general public believes they know the story, they might remember something Disney has done with the story at some point or some other adaptation. But um, I love going right back to the source material, and I've done that with... I did a version of the tale of, uh, called the, the Tale of the Beauty and the Tale of the Beast, which is a kind of French Renaissance version of Beauty and the Beast. Um, and I've done it with Red, the Red Riding Hood musical, and of course, Hansel and Gretel that you've mentioned. Um, those are great fun to do. Um, and it's kind of gone full circle with this new one. So again, the Lyric Theatre has commissioned me now for the third time um, in my career. And they have asked for an adaptation of uh, Peter Pan. 
And this is an official musical from the um, J.M. Barry uh, Foundation and Great Ormond Street Hospital, of course, are involved. So, this, so there's a lot of pressure on this one. And of course, it is seen as the follow up to Alice, even though there's 20 years between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got to make sure I haven't got worse in 20 years. Uh, but, that, but again, that's lovely. The nice, the nice thing about that is, of course, that it's, it, again, one of those stories that people know the adaptations of. They don't tend to know the original book or the original play. And I'm having great fun going back and looking at those and trying to work out what Barry was trying to do, what he was trying to say. Uh, and then finding the emotional highs and lows in that story, which, of course, is where we decide to put songs in a musical. Very nice. Do you have a, a timeline for that when that might be uh, hitting the stage or is it it's still? Early? I can tell you. No, I can tell you exactly. It opens on the 29th, 29th of November. Wow. Uh, yeah. So that's, you know, that's that's kind of soon. Um uh, so yes, it's all, we're working very hard on that at the moment because it's a new show. All departments are working together at once, so we're all working in tandem. I'm still writing while the set is still be, is being designed, costumes are being created, special effects are being coordinated. Uh, it's one great machine all working towards November. It's not. It's not that uh, I've written a musical and now somebody's going to stage it. It's all we're all creatives working together. Wow, that that'd be so interesting, cool yet frightening all at the same time that you know everything is if one you know one little part of the the machinery gets behind or anything like that or if there's problems it'll affect the entire process Uh, have have you noticed any problems or has everything been nice smooth sailing so far what's nice is the people i'm working with are people i've worked with before so uh some of them are based at the lyric theater who i've had, had an ongoing relationship with for a couple of decades but but also i'm using a lot of creative people that I have worked with on many of my productions before. So we get a good shorthand, you know, it's, yep. it's great to work with people like that. Wow. That's very cool. And uh, now from some of your shows, like you said, the 23 you've written, have any of them uh, just come to you so easily and, and they just flowed right out of you, you know, onto the page and, and onto the screen. And it, was there any of them that you just sat there and you had the writers walking, you just went, I have no idea what I'm doing with this. Yeah, I think, you know what it's usually one or the other mm-hmm. um i'm a fantastic procrastinator <laughs> uh, when a show needs written my oven is sparkling clean <laughs> and there is not a light bulb in the house that wants changing so uh, i'm a fantastic procrastinator the one that really came in one big gush if you like was a musical i wrote called molly wobbly's tit factory mm-hmm. which um was my attempt uh, I was I, I all I had was a title and the and again this was the lyric theater it makes it sound like I only work with the lyric theater <laughs> but these are the three commissions I've had from them and um, the lyric uh, had heard a little sample I did of that show and they liked the title and they they commissioned me to write it and all I had was the title um so I, that was my starting point and it was an experiment to see if I just started with a title and started at the beginning of a story without knowing what the end of that story is can I write a show? And uh, it was, it, yeah, it all came out. It all came very quickly. And it was, um, it was a very successful show. Uh, the irony is I have no idea why. So um, not, not having really understood my own writing process for that show, I can never replicate it. <laughs> wow. Um, um, uh, Molly has been produced in Edinburgh. It's been produced in London. It's been at the West End. 
Um, uh, it's a little enigma of a show. It's very funny, very filthy. Um, it's got some fantastic songs and performances in it. Uh, but it is my sort of my sort of odd child um, that uh, that can never be repeated. And and I have kind of a fondness for it for that reason. And which one did one of them? Like I said, did one of them just drive you crazy with difficulty that you just couldn't figure out what you were going to do next? Yeah, and it was uh, a musical. Uh, so there's a particular theatre in England, the, the Castle Theatre in England, asked me to write a musical based on Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a big fan of the Disney score, Beauty and the Beast. In fact, I've picked one of their songs as one of my favourites. <laughs> um, uh, and I thought, well, it, it, you know, we don't need another musical of Beauty and the Beast. I hate the idea that somebody might come along to see my show thinking it was the Disney show yes. or or whatever. Um, so I tend to stay away from titles that might get confused, uh, but they really wanted it. And I, so that was one of the cases where I really sat down for months thinking, how can I do this differently? Um, and what I, what I came up with was the idea, I went back and realized that Beauty and the Beast as a story is unlike all the other fairy tales, which come from a oral storytelling tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, Beauty and the Beast was actually written and written down. And so I went back and found the very original copy of that. And I realized how much fun it would be in sort of 18th century France if a little theater company had got hold of that book and decided to dramatize it. Um, And so that's what I have. I've got a fantastic little group of performers who who try to rehearse the story of Beauty and the Beast. The problem is they've dropped the book and the chapters are all in the wrong order. (laughs) So it's, uh, it's it's a very funny show and you do get the story of Beauty and the Beast, but because it's told in a particularly odd order, there are lots of surprises uh, where you think, oh, I didn't know that. And it's all from the original book. And that was a real head scratcher because that was almost um, a mathematical exercise, trying to work out how to tell the story in the wrong order and yet keep sense of suspense and surprise um, and not giving away the ending, which is slightly different and all that kind of thing. That was great fun to do, but yeah, I don't think I'll do one like that again. (laughs) That sounds actually really good. I'd love to see that at some point. Um, You know what? Let's go to a song. I'm going to pick the song this time. I'm going to pick something from Molly Wobbly's Tit Factory that we talked about and and play something from that. Is that okay with you? If play one of your songs? I love that. Absolutely. (laughs) Great. All right. Well, this is Be Our Guest. We are talking to Paul Boyd, um, the creator of uh, Molly Wobbly's Tit Factory, which you're about to hear a song of. My name is Jean-Paul Jovanoff, and you are listening to Be Our Guest this Saturday afternoon. We are talking with the writer, composer, everything, um, Paul Boyd. Paul, thank you for uh, coming on the radio with us. You're very welcome. Perfect. So what shows influenced you when you were either growing up or as you've grown up and shows that, you know, that you really had a passion for that you went, Oh, I love this show. It influenced me this way, or just even shows that you love in general. I definitely have to start, like I mentioned before with the works of Gilbert and Sullivan, um, because structurally and, um, uh, use of lyrics and, of course, fantastic musical tunes. I mean, Sullivan wrote tunes. Um, that was a big influence from the very beginning. Um, then I kind of, having sort of exhausted all of those, I remember as a student moving on to things like the Rocky Horror Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, every student watches the Rocky Horror Show, but I think I was around, I was a student around the time that Rocky Horror was celebrating its 20th anniversary. 
Um, There was a big new stage production of it opened in the West End. um, And then that went out on tour. And I think actually most stage productions of it now, there's always one on the road. They're all based on that kind of reinvention of the show from whatever era that would have been, I guess, the mid 90s, early 90s. Um, So that was a big influence for me. Um, Interestingly, in later life, um, I met a very good friend of mine now, sadly passed away, but his name is Christopher Malcolm. Mm-hmm. And Christopher was uh, was one of the originators of the Rocky Horror Show. He was, in fact, the first Brad oh, wow. uh, when they were putting the show together here in London in 72, I think it was. And uh, uh, Christopher then became a stage director and directed that very production of um, Rocky Horror that I saw in the West End. And he came and found me on the back of the success of the first outing for Molly Wobbly. And he said, I hear you've got the new Rocky Horror Show. Um, which I think a reviewer had never said that. I think a critic or read said that. Um, and I said, no, I don't have the new Rocky Horror Show. There's nothing wrong with the old one. <laughs> and then I realized who he was because I recognized him off the telly because he was also an actor and he was in, um, you might know the TV show, Absolutely Fabulous. Yes. That's a, a BBC podcast. Well, he, he was in there. He was a regular in that. So I knew him straight away. Mm-hmm. And he helped me uh, develop Molly Wobbly uh, from kind of a one act tryout thing that I did in 2011 into the full show. Um, so I, Rocky Horror always has a, a, a soft spot in my heart for that for very sure. reason, because of all of the connections and then do you know what living in london you don't get away from the big spectacles the phantom <laughs> of the operas and the evitas and the miss saigons love them or hate them and some of them i love some of them i hate for sure the idea of spectacle on stage i think has influenced us all hasn't it musically oh for sure and then and then to go back to my first music choice do you know what i love a bit of mel brooks and <laughs> musicals started as musical comedies and i still to this day think that's where they work best And in these past couple of decades, I don't think anyone has done a more stereotypically Broadway, stereotypically um, sort of Jewish comedy, fast-paced humour and great musical numbers too than than Mel Brooks has done, both in Producers and also in Young Frankenstein, which I'm a big fan of, particularly the London version of that, which we had in town a couple of years ago, which um, had some fabulous rewrites in it, a couple of new songs. Really? And a different song. Yeah, yeah, a really, really good version of that we had here. Um, it might even still be on the road because these things tend to run in the West End and then they sort of tour the UK for a while. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so all of those things have um, have influenced me for better or worse, I think, over the years. Okay. Have you seen anything lately on the West End uh, that are in, in England right now that has impressed you i have a huge list of shows to go and see because there's a <laughs> there's a little bit of a broadway invasion just at the moment um, yes. we've had dream girls we've had um at the minute we've got waitress we've got dear evan hansen about to open i think the best thing i've seen on the west end in ages is there was a brand new production of company that mm-hmm. opened and i do like a bit of and um, even sondheim but this was a new version of the show that he helped create, which did some role reversals. All of the male roles were played by women and all of the female roles were played by men. And uh, it had, we had Patti Lapone come over. Yes. She was in it. She just won the Olivia Award for her performance in it. And it was absolutely stunning. And for the first time, I wasn't a fan of company, but for the first time that story made sense wow. because the idea of a woman turning 30 and the mm-hmm. pressure on the woman to get married, really good. And talk of it coming to Broadway. I hope it does because other people should see it. Oh, I think that's going to be a standard now uh, role reversal when it gets played, you know, put on by companies all over the world now. That that one production has made 
you know, that show come alive again. And I think it's very much complete. I mean, talk about reinvention. That's exactly what it did. It's, it's, it's suddenly current, you know, I don't know how old that show is. I think it was from the eighties, maybe early nineties. Um, but it's suddenly very now, which is a genius. Yeah. No, a company was written in what? 74, I think. Oh, it's as old as that. Wow. Yeah, I yeah. think I first saw it in the eighties, but, yeah. uh, yeah, well, well then even more power to them because oh, it's, sure. you know, it's so relevant. Oh yeah. Have you had a chance to see uh, one of our exports uh, come from away? Come from away. I have two very close friends playing it in the West End. My, one of my very good friends is the lead. I'm due to see it this week. Uh, so you catch me just before I get oh, to no. see it. But it has gone so well. People are absolutely loving it. And uh, people are raving about it. Rachel Tucker, who's my friend, who's uh, playing the the pilot. I don't know the lady's name. I can't remember the name of the character. Uh, I can't remember. Um, but she, again, Olivia, Olivia Award nominee for that part. Um, uh, you know, I can't wait to see it. And that's a, yeah, that's a Canadian export, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I've seen it twice here in Toronto. Um, it, it blew me away. I really love that show. Uh, I'll be honest with you. My, my girlfriend bought me, uh, my, my, parents and I tickets and we, we were like, I don't know, 10th row or something in orchestra. And I don't stand up. I don't give standing ovations for shows unless they deserve it. And when I told her that I actually stood up and gave this show a standing ovation, she, she almost cried because she, oh, wow. because she knew that it, it must've been that good for me. That meant something. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I, I can't wait to see it. But the reason I've waited to see it is that my friend who's in the ensemble is actually going on. He's also a cover. Mm. So when he's on this week, he's taking over one of the roles. So I thought I'll go and see Rachel and him at the same time. Makes um, sense. But yeah. And, and, but what fantastic reviews it's getting. And it's in a fab little theater in London, um, the Phoenix theater, which I seem to go to on a very regular basis <laughs> because uh, it has a very high turnover of shows. The last show it had there was Chicago. When yes. we did the the Chicago came back into town for a couple of years. I had some friends in that, and before that, we had in that particular theatre we had the Gary Barlow musical uh, Calendar Girls. Yeah, I don't know whether you come across that yet. It's based on a movie. Cool. Yeah, I I didn't. I've heard of it. I never got a chance to see it though. But well, there's a great um, there's a great CD recording of it that they did, um, which has got some. Uh, that's the original London cast performing on that. There's another version of the show on the road at the moment. They they let it run in London and then they did rewrites to it for the tour, which I didn't understand. Oh. But I much prefer the London version and it's it's the one that's on the CD. So catch that, definitely. Uh, it's just one more show I got to find money to buy. <laughs> <There's just laughs> yeah. I'm out there. <laughs> but, oh, cool. Uh, well, you know what? Let's throw it another song and then we'll come back. You know what? I'd love to ask you if... Um, being being seeing shows in the West End, if you've noticed a, a big difference between uh, shows written in, in England and Broadway shows, and and the differences between the two of them from from a perspective over there, so I'd love to come back and talk to you about that. But let's throw it to a song. What would you like to hear? And um, I, why don't we listen to seeing as we've mentioned Chicago, which has some great numbers in it? Could we have a bit of Cell Block Tango? Of course. One of the one of the more popular songs from uh, from that show because whenever I talk to people, it's it's usually that show that yeah. song they want to hear. So no problem. All right. So this is Jean Paul Yovanov. You are listening to be our guest. I'm talking with Paul Boyd across the pond, and we're going to listen to some Chicago's Cell Block Tango here on Musical Theater Radio. Mm -hmm. 
We have paid a few bills on musical theater radio because unfortunately you got to do that sometimes. You are listening to Be Our Guest on this Saturday afternoon. I'm speaking with Paul Boyd, the wonderful uh, creator of lots of musicals, 23, soon to be 24 in November. Peter Pan is going to be hitting the stage um, in the Lyric Theater, you said, in Ireland? That's right, yeah, Lyric Theater Belfast, yeah. Perfect. So before we went... Uh, to the brain, the music and the, the commercials. I mentioned um, if you noticed any differences between uh, West End shows and Broadway shows, or do you feel when you watch them and the way they're created is, you know, there really isn't that much difference. It's a musical is a musical is a musical. I don't think there is nowadays. I suspect once upon a time you could tell the difference between uh, a Broadway show, which always to us seems very polished and very slick. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a product and a British regional theatre about it. Uh, that's tended to be how we produced things in, in the UK. Uh, shows would begin in regional theatres and if they did well, they'd come into the West End. Doesn't tend to be how it works nowadays. Mm-hmm. And uh, so long as a show has had a tryout somewhere and as people have been workshopping and working on these things, you can't tell the difference. Um, we have a show in London at the minute um, there's something, oh, I've actually forgotten the name of it. Is it called There's Something About Jamie? Everyone's talking about Jamie. Yes, I think uh, it's called. yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, uh, I should have looked that up beforehand. But <laughs> he, that, that's a show which is a British show, British director, British writing team, based on a British story. Um, it uh, has all kinds of similarities to a Broadway product, you know, people finding their own identities and all of these kind of themes, which are universal, of course. But I, I think it would be hard-pressed for, for somebody who wasn't from the UK or wasn't from America to spot where that show had come from. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of level we're working at now in the UK, which is fantastic. There are other examples, of course, too. Um, as I said, we do have a slight Broadway invasion just at the moment, um, which is taking up a lot of... Um, square footage in the West End, but that won't be forever. And I know there are one or two shows from UK headed over that way. But I don't think you can tell a difference anymore, particularly now that our source materials tend to be, um, uh, you know, from the same pool, if you like. So we've got films. Once upon a time, we adapted books all the time. Now it seems to be cinema. Um, uh, something like Kinky Boots, a Broadway musical, but based on a British film. So, you know, who's to say where where that story (laughs) or show comes from? It's true. The heyday, I guess, was the 80s um, when all the the stuff come from the West End was coming over to Broadway. And, and at in that point, you know, they own, the British shows owned Broadway at that point with Phantom and, and Les Mis and that sort of thing. And I guess there's it's it's just it's an ebb and flow. You know, one time, like you said, the, the, the American shows are in the West End right now and dominating. And, you know, that'll probably change in a little bit. So you, you never know. Yeah, absolutely. I think these things come and go. And I think that the reason, there was a reason why we dominated Broadway in the 80s, 70s and 80s, for everything from Jesus Christ Superstar or Evita, uh, was because there was money behind those shows. Mm. Um, nowadays, I think it's kind of reversed because in America, certainly off-Broadway, um, there is a real system for developing new shows. So by the time they get to the stage, they're very good and then they do well. We're only catching up with that now. We're only now getting together a system for producing uh, new musicals. We're still trying to figure that out here in Canada. And we're behind you guys, of course, even. Um, <laughs> but that's just the way it is, you know. We, 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 well, you guys have just had, um, you guys have just had um, The Last Ship, the Sting yes. musical. 
Yes, which, I saw again. That. I've got uh, some lots of friends in that. That started again. This is a very odd thing, isn't it? There's a British story by a British writer that has been on Broadway and Canada, but has yet to come to Britain. So, really? at what? Yeah, at what point do we decide a show is British, American, Canadian? <laughs> How do these things work? I don't know. That's I didn't realize that it hadn't been over there yet. Yeah, it hasn't. And again, I mean, Rachel Tucker, who I mentioned before, was come from away. She played the lead in that on Broadway. Boundaries are, are the, you know, the pencil line between us all is becoming quite smudged in terms of creative teams and origins. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, I hopeful, hopefully it'll come over and you'll be able to see it at some point. Yes, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really odd that it's done that. Well, is, is there any shows that uh, you haven't seen yet? Um, past or present um, that you wish you had? Um, oh, yeah, there's lots of shows come and go before you get a chance to see them. One of the problems with living in London is it becomes, oh, yeah, I'll see that at some point. <laughs> it, yeah, it used to be when I lived in Ireland back when I was younger. Um, when you came to London, you saw four or five shows in a week just to see them. When you live here, as I have for sort of so long, um, yeah, a show can disappear before you've got round to seeing it. I'm making a point at the minute of making sure I catch up with shows. Um, and believe it or not, I've never seen Phantom of the Opera. Wow. Uh, and, you know, that's been running for years everywhere. So uh, actually in a few weeks' time, I have tickets to go and see Phantom of the Opera. Uh, it was one of those musicals that it, I think it was the first musical I ever bought on CD. Because um, I, I, it's one of those shows, for some reason, I know the score of very well. And I think maybe it, for some time it was the only CD I had. I, I think, you know? that was, yes, because I think uh, The Phantom was my introduction show as well. I think we're probably around the same age, I'm guessing. I'm, I'm 45. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you, it was funny because when I talk to, to people, um, they say what their favorite musicals are. Um, you, can, you can see what their entry points are. You know, it's the Phantom, if you're, you know, of a certain age, it's, it's Rent, if you're of a certain age. It's Hamilton of a certain age, right? It's, yeah, absolutely. It's I think Phantom was one of those, you're right, it was, um, <laughs> appealed to people that Jesus Christ Superstar and Evita didn't appeal to. Mm -hmm. You know, so you, so you had, um, because it was gothic and dark and mysterious and, you know, technologically for its day, it was, it was way up there. It was, oh, you know, it was quite, there was a gondola on stage. We didn't know how these things, <laughs> candles coming out. So yeah, it, it was definitely was a marker for me in as much as you can tell serious stories. I never was a fan of Les Miserables, never mm. was a fan of Saigon, but there was something about Phantom and the kind of gothicness of it. Um, that, I, that really appealed to me and that lovely idea that you could bookend a, a musical with a flashback and a flash forward and the, you know the old theatre comes to life I, I'm talking like I've seen this show by the way sometimes <laughs> I've really, I haven't I feel like I know everything about it and so I'm putting my own general knowledge to the test yeah, absolutely. And, you know, how can I live in the, you know, in, in so close to the West End with the longest running show in history? And I've not seen the thing. So, yeah, so I'm going to put that right. But that's a really good lesson for people. I, I, it's the same for people who live in New York, too. You know, there are shows that have been running for years. And if you've not seen them, they might disappear at some point. See them while they're in their, uh, you know, in their, in their good periods. Oh, for sure. Because I know there's like shows that come and gone i wish and i'd seen spider-man on broadway i don't i'm not a big fan of it i've got the music and everything it's okay but 
you just know it'll never be happen again. No one's going to ever put yeah. it on. Or King Kong. I know it came from Australia uh, here, but how many theaters are going to be able to hold a 2,000-pound puppet? And- You're absolutely right. The same is true. Recently, we had a, a production of 42nd Street, mm-hmm. which was running at Theatre Royal Drury Lane, one of our theaters in the West End. Um, and I had a friend in the show who said, you have to see this because this will never be repeated. The days at the West End producing a show in this scale are over. Yeah. And I went to see that show. It's only just last year, I think. Um, and it only closed because the Theatre Royal Drury Lane has closed for renovations. Now it's going to be shut for a couple of years, reopening with Frozen from the oh. sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> but I went to see for, I went to see 42nd Street. And I, I tell you what, I sat with my mouth open just when you thought this show cannot get any more ostentatious. <laughs> another 20 dancers come tapping on. A staircase comes out of the wall. I mean, it was, I've seen some spectacles in my time, but that was, and, and Chris was absolutely right. I had to see that because in my lifetime, you know, the, the producers were not making a penny on that show. I know for a fact. So, you know, nobody does these things for love anymore. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, yeah, but uh, that that's the history of theaters littered with that, of shows that you just, they, they're on, they're done. And unless you have the cast recording, you'll never know them again, probably. Thank God for the cast recordings, right? Oh, it's so true. I've got so many records sitting in my office here that my dad was, my dad came over yesterday and he was going through the records, just looking at all the stuff from the fifties and the sixties and seventies, going through all the people that, um, you know, all the famous people, they became famous from, from the shows, but yeah, these shows will never be put on again. And there was another show and, I, and this could lead up actually to a song because there was one show that we had running here, 2002. Um, and I remember uh, because I had a show uh, running at the same time. This was a show called Bombay Dreams. Yes, I love that. I have that city. Did it ever did it ever come to Canada? Did you guys ever get it in Canada? It did. I think it ran for maybe a month. Maybe it didn't do yeah. well over here. But I, I want couldn't. It it lasted for a while. It it, it did. I, I I mean I I don't know the exact date, but I, I'm going to say a year. It, it lasted. Yeah. Lloyd Webber was producing it, and uh, um um. But it was one of those shows. It was culturally significant, and mm-hmm. some of the songs in it were very good. And the stage production was lovely. My favourite bit from it was the opening. <laughs> there was a section called Bombay Awake. Yes, which was so atmospheric, and it is a shame to say the highlight of any show is the opening, because then you, the by implication the rest was downhill. But but the the, the opening was so good, um, and it has remained one of my favourite pieces of music actually from any of those shows of that era in London. Very nice. Well, is that the song you'd love to throw to? Let's do it. We've we've talked about it. Let's see whether you can listen to this music and imagine what it looked like. I think you probably can. Probably. I yeah. I wish I had seen it, but. Oh, well, what are you going to do? All right. So you are listening to Be Our Guest. We are talking with Paul Boyd across the pond. Um, and he's asked us here, uh, Bombay Awakes from Bombay Dreams here on Musical Theatre Radio. You are listening to Be Our Guest here on a Saturday afternoon. We've had a couple of hours of uh, fun talk with Paul Boyd. Um, so, Paul, you, you are over in London right now, correct? That's correct, yeah, yeah. Cool. So being in London, the West End, have you had any um, experience with uh, the industry people over there? Have you had any connection? Have you got any juicy stories, maybe? Well, lots of juicy stories, but I couldn't possibly um, 
share those. But yeah, I, I do know um, it's a small business in a big town. So you do tend to bump into lots of people. Um, I've got a long standing relationship with Cameron McIntosh. Cameron, back in uh, 1997, when I was a young writer, I'd just been commissioned to write something. Uh, and the keyboard that I used to write music on died very suddenly. So I wrote a letter. This is, you know, back in the days before email, I wrote a letter to Cameron <laughs> saying, um, do you know of anywhere that I could borrow a keyboard? I just thought, well, he's sitting. I was in Ireland. I thought he was sitting in London. He's bound down. And bless him, he actually sent me a check. Uh, he <laughs> said, this isn't official, not through my foundation, but the deal was everything I wrote, I had to send him a copy of. So mm -hmm. I've been doing that for 20 years. <laughs> wow. Um, 20 years, and I've had a long-standing... And things like... Uh, Red, the Red Riding Hood music, but he wanted it just called Red. So I, I have that kind of relationship with him. Um, uh, uh, I know lots of the, obviously the big directors in town are, are all friends of mine. Uh, there's a guy called Lawrence Connor, particularly, and he's, there's a lovely story about Lawrence, who directed everything from School of Rock on Broadway and in London. Mm -hmm. um, he does the tours of Phantom and Les Mis and all of these shows. But uh, Lawrence started off in the cast. His first professional job was to play Fats the Frog in my Hansel and Gretel musical. <laughs> so uh, so we go back a, a long way there. Um, and Lloyd Webber, I've had a few meetings with Andrew Lloyd Webber over the years. He's a, a terribly nice guy. He, he, was, he gave me tickets to go and see Bombay Dreams, which we've just been talking yeah. about, which is how I ended up sort of in such good seats on that night, because I had an Irish show, um, a musical of, a, of, of an Irish story, which I saw parallels to Bombay Dreams with, and he was very interested in that. So you meet all of these people on your journey. The secret is to never believe anything until it's in writing, um, <laughs> because I think if I'd, um, you know, if I think that uh, you know all these people and uh, uh, it's not that they promise you the earth, but sometimes you've got meetings about things and sometimes things are in the pipeline and very often they come to fruition and sometimes they don't. And these are all working people um, whose diaries collide with yours and production schedules and what have you. So, yeah, I've, I mean, Alice the Musical was meant to run in London in 2002. So you're going, you know, you're going back a bit there. That that didn't happen. So that that was kind of the first example for me of how a production gets so far down the line and then just not happen. But yeah. listen, you talk to any writer of musical theatre, you'll get the same story. This is nothing new. That's just the business. <laughs> it's so true. It's I I know the feeling. Um, so is there anybody you you've met along your journey that you met when they were just starting out and then they just exploded and you you've got to see them rise from you know, from birth of their career to where they are now? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Lawrence is one of those. Lawrence had expressed no interest in being a director when when he was a, an actor, I, and I acted alongside him. Uh, and uh, by the, I lived in the States. By the time I came back from the States to London, he was suddenly a director, and he was doing these fantastic things. Um, and he's tremendous fun. Um, the other one, I guess, is Rachel Tucker, that I've mentioned before. She's now in Come From Away. She's played Alphabet in Wicked, both in the West End and on Broadway. Wow. Done The Last Ship on Broadway. Um, and uh, she's done loads of loads of stuff over here. But she was in a musical I wrote 2002 that toured around Ireland, which was a rock concert called McCool, which is a story, the story of Finn McCool, the Irish giant. Oh, yeah. Um, who built the Giants. So that was really good fun. And Rich was 19 then. Oh, wow. So um, she went away and trained. And next thing we know, she's a, 
uh, a West End star, being mega, <laughs> and she's so down to earth. And anyway, she hasn't changed a bit. But um, but how fabulous to see these careers. People I worked with just last Christmas, some of them are in Come From Away, some of them have just come back from Canada with uh, The Last Ship. Um, I love to work with good people, and I think you can tell when someone's going to be good. And if you can get them, uh, it means you've got a great time working with young people while they're still learning, and then they come back and work with you again. Yes. Um, and that's, that's the other thing about building relationships with talented people. They, we, we all value each other. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, over here in, in Toronto, I am... Um... I'm part of a, a theater company at a York University. It's an it's just an extracurricular one. I've been with them for about 17 years, but I I get to work with these 19 and 20 year olds and and watch them grow and learn, and then they come back, you know, 10 years later, and I get to see them and and where they've gone, and it, it's so satisfying when you when you see them do that. Yeah, and it's terribly handy when you don't have to pay for expensive tickets. That you too. know when I when Chicago's running in town, I can phone. You know, my friend Alan, who's, who's been in Molly Wobbly's Tip Factory, and he's now playing, you know, Miss uh, Mary Sunshine. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll sort of some tickets. <laughs> Hi, Rachel. I Fantastic. They can get you company rate, not freebies. Nobody does freebies in the West yeah. End, but you can get company rates. Uh, and uh, what I love to do, actually, is when I've got a new show on the go, I do sample recordings and uh, sort of studio recordings of shows and they'll come in and sing for me. So I get to use these fantastic wow. people um, and, and, and have their voices recorded forever when I'm trying out songs. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's, because it, it's one big family. It, it's, we all, it, like you've mentioned, I think, I can't remember if you said it on the air or off the air. Um, everybody, it's, it, we're all, no, I can't remember what I'm saying. <laughs> we're all, we all run the same circles and it, it's a small, it's a small group. It's a big community, but it's, it's all small as well. Everybody knows everybody. It is. And that's why you've got to be careful. It's that lovely adage, isn't it? You know, be, you know, be, be nice to everybody mm. on the way up, you know, because they're all going to be there on the way down and we all do have ups and downs. Um, but they, it is a family. There are, there are good people and less good people and nice people and less nice people. And you've got to learn, like in any business, you've got to learn to, to ride those waves and read, read those people and, and deal with everyone accordingly. But yeah, work with the best people. That's the secret to any kind of success. I know that from our business, it's probably true in any business. Yeah, um, yeah the best people. Yeah, I love, I, I love this business. I, I, I was out of it for a while and then I missed it and then I came back and, and started to start this radio station because I wanted a job that I was going to have, be happy with it, have fun with. So that's, and I get to meet people like yourself. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Do what you like. Exactly. So, you know, let's throw to, to another song. Uh, anything that you want to hear, one of your own songs, maybe. Uh, okay, let's have a song from um, let's have a song from uh, Alice the Musical. Seeing as oh. we've mentioned that a few times, um, there's one song that I think you have, which is called Home, um, which is a ballad that Alice sings. It's always difficult to know where to place a ballad in a show like Alice, which is so up tempo. But in this show, Alice, yeah, she really misses home, and it's quite poignant for me because I wrote that song in London, writing about my home city, Belfast. Uh, not that Alice sings that it's about Belfast, but I was going through the same emotions. And it has reduced a few people to tears. In a few rehearsals, people kind of realised, you're away from home working for a long time, you do start to feel a little bit homesick. And so this ballad, um, yeah, it's stayed one of our favourites. 
Very nice. All right. So we're going to listen to Home from the show Alice, written by Paul Boyd, who we've been talking with for the last few hours on Be Our Guest. I can't believe it's already been uh, you know, coming to the end of three hours here. We've been talking with Paul, listening to some of the music that he's written, some of his favorite songs, the great stories. Paul, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on today and, and talking with us. Oh, it's been fantastic. I listen, I'm well done for all of the, all of the work you do. And it's fantastic that, that uh, people who listen to this station, they can hear their favorite songs from their favorite musicals. And every now and again, they get one thrown at them that they don't know. And that actually is what makes a musical. It's, it's, it's what makes a musical popular and successful. It gets known. We all love songs that we already know, hence the rise of the jukebox musical. So peppering a, pre- peppering a radio station with new material for us writers is fantastic, invaluable. Well, I'm, I'm glad I can help because, yeah, there's, there's so many good shows out there that we just might not know. Like you've, you've said, you've been around for, for a while. You've written 23 shows, but over here, we might not know any of this stuff. And I want to introduce people to this great music. So thank you for writing all that stuff. Um, so we're going to end this. You're welcome. You're welcome. Oh, no problem. So our, we're going to end this segment with our five questions, uh, rapid fire. Um, there's no right or wrong answer, but there are wrong answers just to let you know. Okay. Right. <laughs> so question number one, Sondheim or Weber? Oh, now you're trapped. <laughs> what do you no, say? I'm really trapped. I'm going to say Sondheim. Okay. Even though I've, even though I've, sort of talking about sort of Andrew's stuff that has, because Andrew, for me, as a writer, either gets it or doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. either, either love it or hate it. Sondheim, I tend to like generally all the time. So I would go with Sondheim. Okay. And this, choice. I know this, uh, now, honestly, this one, there is no right or wrong answer. It's more opinion and, you know, both are fantastic, but, you know, everybody has a little bit. It's like you having kids. You want, you like one a little bit more than the other, but... Yeah, and some days it's different. You know, sometimes one of the kids, you know, yeah. Something (laughs) like Phantom of the Opera. I can't compare Phantom of the Opera to Into the Woods. You know, in a sense, I would find it difficult to choose between the two. Yep, you know, exactly. Perfect. All right, so question number two. Favorite show you've ever seen? Favorite show I've ever seen? Yeah. Uh, Okay, I, I will say Joseph Papp's Broadway production of The Pirates of... Penzance, mm. which uh, which I it just only because it kind of covers all bases for me. First of all, it's Gilbert and Sullivan, but <laughs> it's been it was I mean this is going back to the nineties or the eighties, wasn't it? But it was adapted to sound like a Broadway musical, and it was staged so so brilliantly and so comically that it just sort of encapsulated all of the different uh, slices of my pie. Very cool. Very nice. All right. So question number three, jukebox musicals, good or bad? I'm going to be controversial and say good. Okay. Uh, The caveat to that is, uh, I think, how the songs are used, because there are some terrible jukebox musicals. And I think if my, I think if a mu- I'm, I'm directing one next year on tour, which is one of the reasons why I want to be careful about what I say, but <laughs> this happens to one, 
this happens to be one that is brilliantly written and i think that's the secret if you have a fantastic story and the songs are helping you to tell that story that's perfectly acceptable and that to me is musical theater the essence of musical theater it just so happens the songs aren't new I think the wrong way to do it is to find an album somewhere and go, I'd love to turn that into a show and then try to string them together. Mm-hmm. I, again, no right or wrong answers. This one actually, you know, again, you've, you've laid it out correctly. So we'll leave it at that. So awesome. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So movie musicals from movies, good idea or lazy? Um, okay. Good idea. Okay. Uh, musicals work best, always have worked best when they are adaptations. Um, I was a bit snobbish about the cinema thing for a while because I thought we haven't we haven't adapted all of the books yet. Mm-hmm. But I completely understand that um, today's audience uh, sees more films than they do read books. So uh, uh, to my mind, it's now pretty much the same thing. Um, uh, if we're going to go for adaptations, a film is perfectly legitimate, but do something interesting with it. Don't just put it up on stage. <laughs> Cause I heard that because uh, Beetlejuice went up on Broadway and they did say they changed it from the movie. So I'd be curious as to uh, how, what they did with that. Because it's what we were talking about earlier and sort of what, what is an adaptation? Mm-hmm. An adaptation is about getting the essence of a story and retelling it easier to do that with a book because nobody knows what these characters look like other than what's in your imagination. So you, you will picture somebody different than I will. So who's right. When there's a film, the worry is that when people stage it, they're going to look exactly like the people in the film. They'll try and cast actors who look the same, that it all has some kind of visual similarity. That to me isn't adapting. That's, that's staging a film, which is a slightly different thing. But if you can adapt a musical, and again, this has been done brilliantly so many times, if you can take a film and adapt it in the same way that you would adapt a book, using the same freedoms, the same ability to transpose and translate and readapt, yeah, what is a perfect source material. Cool. Again, no right or wrong answer for that one. It's just, you know, we're all figuring it out at this point with that one. So, cool. So one more question. This might be the most important question of them all. Oh my goodness. I <laughs> know. <laughs> Food in the theater, yes or no? No. No, no, no. I I don't even like I don't even like food on the tube, you know, on the way to the theater. Absolutely not. How disrespectful. People are working. It's like coming into somebody's office and having a sandwich at their desk. No, with a capital N and a capital O, you will never convince me that outside of the boundaries of dinner theatre, which is its own thing, that it is right for anyone to have nachos delivered to their seat in the theatre. And that was the correct answer. So... I like your passion of that. Yeah, unequivocal enough for you. Yeah, <laughs> that was perfect. You, you hit a nerve there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I always save it for the very last. <laughs> Has anyone ever said yes? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. I wouldn't have them back on the okay. show if they had said yes. <laughs> so I think if you asked one or two of the producers, they would say yes. Yes, that's exactly. Obviously, there's oh, that's, yeah. Hello, but no, absolutely not. All right. Thank you again, Paul, for uh, coming on and talking with us on uh, Musical Theatre Radio. It's been a fun time getting to know you. Um, 
I can't wait to, I got to get figure out how to get over to, to England and London at some point. Cause there's so many shows and people I just want to meet in person and, and check out their stuff. And, and uh, hopefully if, if I'm ever over there, maybe we can, we can uh, catch a drink or something like that. Absolutely. You'd be very welcome. I'll show you around. That would be fantastic. Again, thank you, Paul. The, we are talking to Paul Boyd, uh, creator of uh, lots of different musicals. Check out Peter Pan if you are in, um, where's it going again? In Ireland, in Belfast. In Belfast in November. Uh, you can learn more about him. You can go to his Twitter account, which is what? Twitter is at Paul Alex Boyd. And your website? The website is paulboydmusic.com. Perfect. So if you want to learn more about Paul's stuff, go check that out. My name is Jean-Paul Yovanoff. It has been a fantastic Saturday afternoon. Please come back next week when we have a whole new guest or guests helping me uh, celebrate musical theater in general on the show Be Our Guest. Stick around. we got lots of great music coming up in the rest of the day. Saturday night parties coming up at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as well. Thank you and have a great Saturday. We love supporting and promoting the creators of musical theatre throughout the world. And we would love to have your support as well. Go to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the Become a Patron button because a supportive community is a strong community.